Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift that we can, in the middle of the week, Lord, pause to come into your word, to be with you, Lord, and to just dwell in your presence, Father God. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that we can read it, Lord, that you can use your Holy Spirit to illuminate it. Help us, Father God, to never take it for granted. Help us to not take the freedom that we have for granted, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you be with us right now as we go into your word. Help us to focus on your word alone. Holy Spirit, fill me to be your vessel. That each and every single one of us would leave here with what is needed from you to continue this journey of sanctification for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we journeyed through Psalms 15 and 16, and in those, we got to see the voice of David's praise, and we were reminded of the character and the fellowship we should seek from our king. We also saw a beautiful example of prayer and praise that began with that beautiful verse, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. That's 16.1. And that reminder to rest in him, the reminder to trust, the reminder that preservation of our entire being rests in him alone. And for us having Jesus Messiah come, having the whole word of God as we saw Sunday, the conclusion that it's all in his hands. He has all authority. And that reminder to us and that question to ask, am I trusting? Am I continually trusting him? Now the charge from last week, what fellowship with God, does your life reveal? Did you think about that? That life that you're living, what does it reveal about your fellowship with God? How do you walk? How do you work? How do you speak? How's your character? How's your conduct? How are your conversations? All things that were hit in Psalm 15 and for us to think about. Also to think about how do you pray and how do you praise? Is your trust in God alone? Do you delight in his people? Do you pray for those without him at the center of their lives? Is Jesus enough? Is what he's given you on this earth in this present season of your life enough? Do you put God first? Or are there other things that are before him? Do you put worshiping him first or not? Are there fears? Are there insecurities that you need to remove that you can walk by faith? These are all things for us to have thought about over this last week after Psalm 15 and 16 and to also think about what's your communion like with the Holy Spirit? Are you living for eternity or are you living just for today? Now, as we move on to Psalm 17, we're going to have another consistent example of David doing what he's been doing and again pointing us to eternity once again. So we're going to be continuing with Psalm 17. The title of tonight's message is Secure in Him. Now, when we look at Psalm 17, we see a prayer of David in the title. And again, the different titles, we see different things in them. This is interesting because there's only five Psalms where we see a prayer specifically written. So we see that here. We see that in Psalm 86. We see it in Psalm 90, 102, and 142. So 86, 90, 102 and 142. Now what's interesting, 90s by Moses and 17, 86 and 142 are by David. And why are these noted as prayer? Because if you think about it, as we're going through this book, we've talked about how all of these Psalms are prayers and praise. But the specific thing with these five is each of these has a dangerous situation at hand where the psalmist is crying out to God for deliverance. And that has to have us ask ourselves, when danger comes, what's our response? When danger comes in your life, is prayer your first response or is self-reaction your first response? Have you trained the muscle of prayer first as a child of God? It's a muscle we have to build. It's a muscle we need to discipline in ourselves. Now, when you look at Psalm 17, when you look at 86, when you look at 142, many Bible scholars will point to these psalms perhaps being the time when Saul is pursuing David. Now, do we get that from fact? No, we don't. As you remember, some of the earlier psalms we looked at, some that we'll look at later, you get specifically the exact time. We don't get that here. But we do see David remaining steadfast in going to the Lord. 
David pours out his status before God and he's aware of his standing. That's what we're gonna see when we start this psalm. And in the conflicts that we have in our lives, we're gonna see David do something that we often do, but the means that David gets to the conclusion, I don't know that it's always how we get there. Because in conflict, if you think about when you get into a conflict with someone, you always think you're right, right? The conflict starts, I'm right. I know that I'm right. And we're gonna see here that at the start, David is going to say, I have a just cause, but we're going to see that his stance comes from communion and open heart surgery that he's had with God. In this psalm, we're going to see David petition God for deliverance, and we're going to see David once again rest in the future hope to come. And as I've said before, I, I, as we're going through these psalms, continue to just be in awe of the fact he didn't have what we have with the full word of God. He didn't have Jesus Messiah come. He didn't have everything that we have at our disposal. Yet his faith in God and eternal perspective is quite powerful. Ultimately, this prayer of David, when we go through it, it starts with trust in God. It flows to surrendering to God. And it ends with hope in God. It's a reminder to us our trust should be in God alone. Our surrender should be in God alone. Our hope is in God alone. It's a reminder for us with Jesus in our lives that our trust is Christ alone. Our surrender is to Christ alone. Our hope is in Christ alone. It's a reminder to us with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that the Holy Spirit convicts and refines us to more trust. The Holy Spirit empowers us to surrender and deny self. And the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the word of God that we rest in the hope to come. This is a psalm that is a response. It's a prayer that is a response to dangerous conflict. And think about conflict. It's in everyone's lives. You can have conflict with self. We all have it. The flesh versus the spirit. We can have conflict with others. Me versus them. We can have conflict in our lives. Do I live for God and his approval? Or do I live for man and man's approval? In John 3, well-known chapter that we just got to finish, it gave us the vital reminders of eternal security and where it lies, Christ alone. We who have the word of God know, James 1, what do we promise? We talk about it often, trials. It's a promise. They're going to come, which means conflict is going to come, which means dangerous situations going to come. But we trust, we surrender, and we hope. And guess what's at the center of all three of those things? The word of God. The word of God is at the center. And we're going to see the role the word of God's lips play in the life of David through this psalm. So Psalm 17, here we go. First verse. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. So David starts this right away with saying, Hear a just cause, O Lord. David calls his cause just. Now there's something we got to point out right away. This is not David saying in this moment, I'm sinless. I have no sin. I'm perfect. That's not what he's saying here. And we see in other Psalms where he has to own his unconfessed sin. We're going to see how he responds to the moment with Bathsheba. He is consistent with going to God with the state he's in. But in this moment, he's saying, I'm just. Here a just cause. For this situation, for this circumstance, David knows he's just. David knows he's right. Now, this is also not a verse to be used in a fight or a dispute to say, well, David said he has a just cause. I have a just cause. So husbands and wives don't try to use this verse out of context to win a battle. Capiche? We have to understand. We're going to see how David is able to get there. Because in our disputes, in our conflict, in our dangers, guess what? Our flesh always says we're right. But we're going to see David has gone through the refiner's fire to be able to say, hear a just cause. And we have to ask ourselves, knowing that, do you look at trials and conflict through God's standard, word of God, or your own standards? Then he says, attend my cry. David's emotional here. 
David's feelings are raw. David's feelings are present. And we're going to see once again, he takes the feelings. And as we go through this, he's going to turn to point to faith. Again, that reminder to us, those emotions, the raw feelings that we have, bring them to God. Don't get lost bringing them in all the places the world says to say, to bring them, bring them to God. And if we tie it to what we saw in John 3, it's all in his hands. Jesus has all authority. Why not take it all to the king? Bring it to him. Then he says, give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Give ear to my prayer. He pleads to be heard. He says, my prayer is not from deceitful lips. Because the words that David's praying in this moment are from a heart that's trusting, surrendered, and looking to the hope to come. Even in the frustration, even in the pending danger that is coming, David opens himself up for God's examination. And we're going to see that momentarily. And before we tell God, I'm right. Before we tell God, no, Lord, you need to hear me. I'm right. I know I'm right about this thing. Check yourself against his word. Check yourself against his standard revealed through his word. David, when we go through, we're going to see the evidence of this, but David clearly had to have prayed the sentiment we see in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In the midst of danger and trouble, How many of you pray that prayer to the Lord? We should. In the midst of conflict, when conflict comes, search me, O Lord. Before I say I'm right, before I try to stand my stance, search me, O Lord. If there's anything wicked in me, show me. And we're going to see when we get to verse 3, David goes there with the Lord. Verse 2, let my vindication come from your presence. Consistent David here. Again, the vindication, he's not taking it in his own hands. That's what we all love doing. Something goes amiss, there's conflict, I'm going to fix this, I got this. That's not what it is. He's saying, let the vindication come from your presence. It's all in your hands. Again, who has all the authority? Jesus. In this case, he's saying, God, you have all the authority. Yet we often try to take control of the situations when we need to trust. Think about it. If we go with the idea that some scholars have that this is when David is being pursued by Saul, twice he could have killed Saul. 1 Samuel 24, 1 Samuel 26, he could have killed him. But he's leaving the vindication to God. He trusted God's timing. He trusts God's judgment. What about you? Do you leave it to God or do you take it in your own hands? Do you say, I got this? Or I got let me just say one thing, Lord. I got this. I got to give you a little piece of my mind to this person. David rests that his vindication comes from God alone. And verse 3 is going to confirm that. And he can boldly go before the Lord as he is right now. Because he has definitely gone through, we'll see in verse 3, that he's asked the Lord to search his heart. Find any wickedness in me. Do you pray for God to search your heart in the midst of conflict even when your flesh is saying you're right, even when it means the Lord may tell you you're wrong and you have to humble yourself. Do you pray that? Let your eyes, second part of verse two, look on the things that are upright. David's trusting God, he's surrendering, and he wants what God sees as upright. What he's saying here, and this is that moment of, we saw the trust, this is that surrender. Lord, let your eyes look on the things that are upright. Show me the things that are upright. If there's things that aren't upright in me or the way that I'm looking at this, help me change it. What's your heart in conflict? What's your heart in trial, saints? Is it fixed on him? Or in fixing it on him, is it that you push him aside? Because you start and you say, well, I still have to have the control. Or do you fix on him and then do you do that open heart surgery? Lord, search me. Do you in the trial, do you in the conflict, allow our heavenly father to refine you? Look at verse three. This is where we see how he's able to begin the psalm the way he did. 
In verse 3, he says, You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip. You have tested my heart. What did we see in Psalm 139? What do we see that cry? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Are there any wickedness? Is there any anxieties in me? In that moment, we have to realize, David is doing what we need to pray to do as mature believers. He's saying, God, test my heart. Are you there? Do you pray that to the Lord? Lord, test my heart. Search my heart. Test my heart. I'm in this conflict right now. Get in there. What's going on in me? What wickedness is in me that I need to remove? That's a vulnerable place to put yourself. That's a very vulnerable place. And David goes there with that vulnerability. He allows God to test his heart. And in the areas where there needed to be shifts, he's going to allow that to happen. Can you be that vulnerable with God? Do you seek God's testing of your heart? Do you let God test your heart? Because it's a hard one, because guess what? It can mean your will, your way, your conviction that you think is right. He may say, no, the other person's right. Or no, that doesn't go in alignment with my word. Because it's about God's justice, not our own. Now, if we're thinking about what we saw a few weeks ago with humility, he must increase, I must decrease. Guess what? If you're striving for that, the fruit's going to be, search me. Because when we allow him to test our hearts and search us, guess what? We decrease. Because we surrender to his will. Do you let God search you? Can you receive correction? Are you correctable? Are you teachable? Can someone in Christ come to you and share something that you may be wrong with? Are you humble? We see then, he says, you have visited me in the night. We know from Psalm 1, we know from the other Psalms what David's doing at that night. He's meditating on scripture. Blessed man delights in the law of the Lord and in it he meditates day and night. David's standard was allowing the scriptures to search his heart. David's standard of how he was living through the danger that was pending was clinging to God's word. Because that was the standard that in this circumstance, he's holding himself against you. Is the word of God your standard? Is it what you hold it against or not? Then he says, you have tried me and have found nothing. You've tried me. The word tried there is meaning the refiner's crucible for gold and silver. That gold and silver is taken. It is refined by fire, high temperature so that there's no impurities or dross. That it's perfect, what it needs to be. So he says, you have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have nothing. His three you have statements put him through the refiner's fire. What about us? How do we face conflict? How do we face trials? We're going to look at a few passages that remind us of this. Turn with me to James chapter 1. And it's a place that we've, we've been going to a few times, but we've got to keep reminding ourselves because we never have it all together till we are with him. Amen? James, right at chapter 1, verse 1, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I will resist the urge to get stuck on the identity and your identity is being a bondservant of Christ. I am not the Christ. I'll stop so we don't end at 8.30. To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, for us, again, we have the full word of God. To go through the refiner's fire, when we say, Lord, search my heart, when we're in the midst of this trial, 
we have the reminder. We've got to count it joy. Why? Because guess what? The refiner's fire that David went through that gives him the ability to say, my cause is just, also puts him in a place where he's able to know this is getting me closer to God. And we have to remember the refiner's fire brings us closer to the image of God, closer to who he wants us to be because it is producing patience and it's faith. And as we face the trials, if we build that muscle of prayer as the response, guess what that means? Trial comes, danger comes, I'm going to pray, Lord, give me wisdom, and you've got to do that in faith. Not doubting, not saying, Lord, give me wisdom, I need this, this is a really hard, I, this, I'm in danger, I don't know if you're going to do it, but I'm just going to pray. No, no, have faith. Have faith in God that he is going to hear your prayer. We're going to be reminded of that as we go on. So James 1 gives us the reality, trials will come, dangers will come for us. Jesus tells us we're going to face persecution. We're going to face suffering. That's why he gave the Holy Spirit to them with the early church at the Pentecost, Acts 1.8, because they were going to need his power to endure. That's why we've got to build the muscle, danger comes, pray. That's the muscle, don't even think, pray. Danger comes, Lord. Danger comes, God. Danger comes, Jesus. Train that muscle. Or another reminder for us, turn to Romans chapter 12. Two verses we know well. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. We know that well. We, we hear it. We talk about it all the time. We've got to be that living sacrifice. Part of being that living sacrifice is letting him search you, letting him be sovereign and have his will be done. And guess what? The second part of that verse, which is your reasonable service. It's a reasonable request. It's reasonable to go through the refiner's fire and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. One thing renews our mind, the word of God. Danger comes, trial comes, pray, seek wisdom. Don't seek the world's wisdom. If your muscle's built in going right to prayer, guess what? You're training yourself to not go to the world wisdom. You're going to God, you get in the word, it renews your mind, and you can continue journeying on. And then the last piece for us within the trials that we need to remember is Philippians 3. Because as we're journeying on, right, as we go through the trial, the danger comes, we've built that muscle, the muscle is prayer, but there's one thing that can happen. We think about the past. We think, oh, but last time something like this happened, dot, dot, dot. Or, oh, I remember, dot, dot, dot. Philippians 3:12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To journey onward, to go forward in that moment of danger and trial, you've got to leave the past behind. If you get in your car tonight and your task is to look at the side view mirror the whole time so you can see what's behind you, how are you going to do getting home? Not too well. Please don't do that. We have to look forward. And we have to press forward, knowing, Lord, guide my steps. Lord, help me to move forward. And again, that's all part of the searching my heart. Because if we allow the Lord to test my heart, visit me at the night, and try me, the Holy Spirit will remind you, hey, you're thinking you're living in the past. Move forward. Hey, your mind's being renewed by social media right now. Knock it off. Get in the word. We need to do that. And then he says at the end of verse 3, back in our text, Psalm 17, verse 3, I have purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. I have purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. Because remember Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Powerful device here. And notice he doesn't say, I'm going to try. I have purposed. 
We have to make a choice when we're in the trial, when we're in that situation. David made a choice. The words that I'm going to say, I'm going to be careful with my words that they do not sin against you. I'm going to be careful with my words that they are not sin. What about you? How do you speak of the dangerous situations of the trials? How do you speak of conflict? Do you speak of the conflict and badmouth the person at the same time? Do you speak of the conflict and curse? Does the danger come and you curse? What do you do? Do the words that come out of your mouth on the situation glorify God or do they lead to sin? And notice what he says. I have purposed. It's a choice. And that for us, that's where we ask the Holy Spirit, please help me to do this. Help me to do that. I don't want to sin against you, Lord. Well, guess what? We get an answer in Psalm 119. Your words I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's Psalm 119, verse 11. So this charge to purpose, the mouth, we should be striving to do that, saints. But when we do it, it's that verse that was uh, the youth retreat. That was the focus verse last year at the youth retreat. And guess what? It's the call to memorize scripture. It's the call to write the word of God on your heart. So that in those moments that you do speak in the trial, in those moments that you do speak in the danger, let it be that you surrender to the Holy Spirit. And as we saw in John 14, let him bring to remembrance the words that you've memorized that then it's scripture that you're pouring over the situation, not the flesh. David gets to this place by delighting and living and loving God's word. Check your heart before you get in the word. Delight in the word. Verse four. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Now, we saw last week, we looked at 1 Peter 5, 8. We have one enemy, the adversary, the devil, lurking about. Man may try to sway you in one way, man being used by pawns as pawns of the devil. I can't stress that enough. When that conflict comes, when the danger comes, don't make it about the person. Remember, there's one enemy, the devil. And that person that you're in conflict with, pray for them. Love on them. Huh? Pray for them. Love on them. That they would see the love of Christ in you. See the situation. Look at it from God's lens. Because guess who we fight? The devil, not the person. Guess who the offensive person that's coming at us is? The devil, not the person. It changes perspective when that danger is impending, when that conflict's coming. Because when we get lost in the person, that's when our flesh acts up. Oh, look at the way they're looking at me. Oh, I'll show you. No, push that aside. And fight the way Jesus fought. Because in the armor of God, put on the armor of God, VBS. The armor of God, guess what? There's one offensive weapon. The sword, which is what? The word of God. And if we think about Matthew 4, when Jesus is in the wilderness, when the enemy is tempting him, what does he keep saying? It is written, it is written, it is written. Question to you, what are your it is written's? What do you have in your arsenal? What's your ammo that you have? In your gun, what's the ammo? How many nine millimeters of verses do you have? How many 380s? We could go on with this. You've gotta be loaded with the ammo and it's the word of God. It's memorizing it. It's writing it on your heart that you do not sin against him. It's having it so that you can keep away from the path of the destroyer. So that when defeat comes in, when despair comes in, when doubt comes in, when insecurity comes in, it is written, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It is written, do not be afraid, only believe. Mark 5, 36, I will believe that my Savior is in control. It is written, I am a child of God. We have to load ourselves up with the word of God. Because Hebrews 4.12, remember, it's that double-edged sword. So it's slaying the enemy while it's also doing its work within you. And then also discerns our thoughts, also checks the intents of our hearts. When we see this peace with David, he has allowed God to refine him. He's been tested, he's been visited, he's been tried, he's purposed his mouth by the word of your lips He's kept away from the destroyer. The word of his lips, God's word. 
Same thing for us. The word of God keeps us from that. He's surrendering. He's trusting. Verse 5. Uphold my steps in your paths that my footsteps may not slip. Who does he go to to guide him and sustain him? God. And if you look, it's all rooted in the word. His word, his spirit, his way. I say it a bunch. But it's all rooted in that. And then for us as believers who have Jesus, Messiah, who has come, we remember that for us being guided, John 15, I am the vine I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So see this abiding relationship because right in this moment, David's saying, guide my footsteps, uphold me. We need to be saying the same thing to Jesus. Uphold me. So we need to be on that vine, the true vine. But it starts with the word washing us. Then four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Guess what that's saying? It's constant. We can't expect to do that walk. We can't expect to be upheld in our footsteps by Jesus if we're not constantly clinging to our king, holding on. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. And we know the reality of the duality. We've looked at it. Now that's not Jesus saying, I'm sending you away. We've seen it. You're condemning yourself. You reject. He's long suffering. He's patient. We have to embrace the refining. Now if you're clinging to him, if you're abiding in him, Guess who's sustaining you through the refining? Jesus, the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. Back in our text, verse six. I have called upon you for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. So he says, God, I've called upon you. You will hear me, O God. And the O God there is mighty God in the Hebrew, mighty God. Remember when we looked at Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him? This is a moment where we think of that beautiful pictorial image of our heavenly father's ear bending to hear his prayer. And he doesn't say, I hope you hear me. He's confident, for you will hear me. Notice he doesn't say, you will hear me and give me what I want. He says, you will hear me. Oh God, question for you. Do you think about and marvel at the fact God hears your prayers? When you pray to your heavenly father, he hears. We just prayed as a group in the fellowship hall. Guess who is there with his ear listening? God, do you marvel at that? Do you sit and say, thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Don't take it for granted. I think that's, as was, I was looking at this text this week, I was like, that's something I've taken for granted, that God hears my prayers. Don't take it for granted. Thank him that he hears your prayers. Relish in the fact that he hears your prayers, that he inclines his ear to us. Verse seven, show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you. So we're starting to see the shift of how David does it each time because this is pending violent danger that he's facing. And he doesn't stay in the feelings. He's starting to go to the faith. And we have a mess in culture to a degree and in the larger church where we think about faith and praying in faith and that's where we get, I declare, I name this, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And we're missing out that we can actually truly have declarative prayer where we say, Lord, I know you hear my prayers. Your will be done. Can you rest in that? Is that enough for you? Because it should be. The God of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Get this, guys. The God of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, hears our prayers every time we pray. And then he's saying here now, show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. It's the first time we see loving kindness 
in the Psalms. And this word points to God's character. It points to God's compassion. And it points to his covenant faithfulness. And David sees all that. How much more do we get to point to, saints? How much more? He's trusting in God. And again, I'm going to say it, Jesus Messiah is not on the scene yet. The word of God isn't on the scene yet. But look at that trust. How much more can we trust and can we point to that? And there's a catch, though, for everything he's saying. O you who save those who trust in you. From here, from the beginning of Scripture to the end, God says, you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. And if you don't trust him, if you don't know him, let's talk. If you do know him, pray for the lost. Pray knowing that he hears. Take comfort in the fact that he hears. And then for yourself, realize, Lord, by your right hand, by your marvelous loving kindness, you're going to take care of the situation. You're going to do this. I will trust my Savior, Jesus. I will trust you, King. Take heart in that. He saves those who trust. He saved us at salvation. Guess what else he's going to save us from? The great tribulation. Rejoice in that. No matter what impending danger, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what happened today that is heavy and burdening on you from work, from friends, from family, take heart and peace in Jesus. And take heart and peace that he saves and he delivers. Verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. When he is coming here now, remember the eye, think of the vulnerability of the eye. Think of how tender the eye is, needing that protection. It's not just some cool phrase that we know. People can say, oh, I love that, the apple of the eye. Yeah, you're the apple of my eye. It's biblical. That's what he's pointing to. Deuteronomy 32.10, the song of Moses to help Israel recall God's faithfulness, a song that he opens up and reminds Israel, and not just Israel in that song, but all of creation, who God is. And he's pointing to them because of the rebellion that they've had. And he calls out the foolishness of their sin. And he reminds them in Deuteronomy 32.10. He found him in a desert land and in a wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. To David, it's tied to God's covenant love. In this moment, it yields conviction. It reminds him of the grace, of the love. The same thing Moses was doing in that same moment, trying to remind the people of Israel, remember all he's done. And then the other portion that we see that he says here is hiding under the wing, hiding under the shadow of the wing. Turn with me to Exodus 25, because I want us to be a group when we think about the shadow of the wing. Yes, there's the mother We can think about mother hen holding everyone in, but I'm going to give us another image I'd love us to think about and remember. Exodus 25, verse 18. And this is where we're we're looking and we're we're, we're thinking of the, the tabernacle right now. We're looking at this. Exodus 25, 18. And you shall work two cherubim of gold, of hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of its one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. God looks down, the law and the ark, guilty of breaking the law. The blood sacrifice poured out on the mercy seat, the blood covering the law being broken. Hide me under your wing, hiding in the holiest of holies, where God ordains to meet with his people. That's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment that David prays here when he says, hide me in the shadow of your wings. David doesn't limit the marvelness of God. He knows God will guard. He will protect. He will keep him safe. He will keep him from the dirt and dust of trials because he's thinking eternally. 
And it's a serious matter because verse 9, from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. It's violent. It's intense. He knows he can be killed. He could be destroyed. But how is he handling it? Prayer. What muscle does he have? Prayer. What is your response if that was you in this moment? Is it prayer? When trial or adversity comes, is it prayer? Have him search you. Search your habits. Search your hearts. And now we're going to see David shifting once again as he does. Now he's come to the Lord. He's stated everything. He's gone through and pleads with the Lord. I'm calling. Protect me. And then he does what he's, we've seen before. He describes the people that he's dealing with. Verse 10. They have closed up their fat hearts with their mouths. They speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth as a lion is eager to tear his prey and like a young lion lurking in secret places. Once again, we've got the lion. And we see that lion in 1 Peter 5, 8, our adversary, creeping, lurking like a lion, lurking in secret places. It's how sin functions. Think of the gospel of John that we've studied, light and dark. Darkness doesn't like the light. So what's darkness going to do? Creep and lurk. And when we see that, it's also a reminder. Check yourself. Where are you creeping? Where are you lurking? You got to check yourself when you see that. Train yourself. Check yourself. Now they close their fat hearts. They speak proudly. Guess what we're talking about here? Pride again. It's back. The wicked. Pride. Once again in the heart of the wicked. Pride. Once again, keeping them from the king. Because it's selfish needs and it's worldly. And it's still the reality of our culture today. It's why we pray for them. It's why we also remember 1 Corinthians 6. Guess what? We were all such were some of yours. All of us. Every single one of us. But we pray for the salvation. And when we look at these verses, we have to not be surprised of the actions of unrepentant sinners and those rejecting God. Because guess what? That's how they act. This is what I like to call a timeless truth of scripture. Time and time again, we look at those that are against God. There's pride. There's pride in it. And they're lurking and they're seeking to devour. And at moments, God gives them up. We saw that and we see that in Romans 1. The wicked are moving forward. And it looks like they're gaining. But what does David do? He looks to God. That's what we have to do. You can look at the circumstance. It looks like they're winning. They're not winning if you look and remember who's on the throne. God. He has the eternal justice and victory, which is why he can then say and pray, verse 13, arise, O Lord. That's a prayer we need to pray. Arise, O Lord. Lord, do what you do. Do what you do, God. Confront him, cast him down, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. He's petitioning for the deliverance. He's petitioning for deliverance from God. He's entrusting and surrendering his fate and the battle that's being fought to God. With your hand for men, O Lord, verse 14, for men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure, they are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. So we see he shifts this whole prayer with that cry out, arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down. He's fighting now, but how is he fighting? In prayer. How is the battle that we fight when the trial comes, when conflict comes, when danger comes? How's the battle fought? In prayer. How do you fight? Are you fighting through emotion? Are you fighting through social media? Are you fighting through, oh, it's just, I don't normally drink, I'm just having a couple glasses of wine, I'm really stressed. How are you fighting? We've got to build that muscle. Prayer. When people are coming for you, how do you fight? When you're coming for yourself with doubt, with fear, with insecurity, when there's unanswered issues at hand, when there's trials, when there's pain, how do you fight? Are you consistent in prayer? Now that second part of verse 14, there's some difficulty there can be seen within the translation in the Hebrew and some different Bible scholars will get in debates about it. And it's always fascinating seeing different debate that comes up with people. And I 
do move towards prayer of like, okay, don't get too lost in this. Let's remember the big picture. Now, when I look at this, I believe the pattern that we've seen from David thus far in the Psalms, we have a pattern of how he prays. We have a pattern of how he goes through situations. And we see consistently at the end, what is he usually looking at? God's character, God's faithfulness, and the eternal perspective. You're going to deal with them, and I have peace and comfort in you. So in verse 14, he's saying they're focusing on worldly things. They're building their treasure on worldly things. They're going to pass their worldly things on, but they don't have anything actual substantial because it's all temporal. And then verse 15, we see what he has. And in verse 14, we're also reminded we have a bigger picture. And if we think of what we just reviewed in John 3, those that are rejecting, they may look like they're gaining, but they're abiding in wrath. The verdict's given. The sentence hasn't been played out yet. But the sentence will come. And guess what? All of the acts, that wrath is now eternal in the lake of fire. Spurgeon has some words on this. Their sensual apprentice gets the gain which it craved for. God gives to these swine the husks which they hunger for. A generous man does not deny dogs their bones. And our generous God gives even his enemies enough to fill them. And if they are not so unreasonable as never to be content. Now, as for David, as for us, verse 15, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. David's emotional state, violence and threat is coming. He shifts from the feelings and he's back at faith. David rests in the beautiful assurance of life beyond the present. Life in eternity with God. David's able to see this. What about you and me? Do you, saint, do you truly, in the trials, look to eternity? Because realize something. David knew God's not going to desert me, even unto death. God will not desert me. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3. Verse 1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Take that refiner's fire. Take the test me. Take the search me. Take it all, because I'm going to see him face to face. Turn to Revelation 22. Verse 1. Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, Clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Do you ponder eternity? Do you ponder that moment face to face? Face to face with Jesus. We who believe and receive and become children of God shall one day see Jesus face to face forever and ever. Secure in him. David's security lies in the end of this psalm. He's going to see God face to face. We need to have our security lie in the gift of everlasting life that we receive from King Jesus. So for the week ahead, brothers and sisters, your charge, one, take stock of your prayer life. We just saw this prayer. Take stock. Is your prayer more faith-based or feelings-based? Is your prayer life consistent? And is prayer your default action in crisis? 
you get that bad news. What's your default? And be real with yourself. I was real with myself. It wasn't fun. But what's your default? What do you actually go to? And then take that to the Lord. Search me. Show me. Two, can you say, you have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your path that my footsteps may not slip. Pray through that. Where's their conviction? Where do you need to make some shifts? Where do you need to make some shifts? It's open heart surgery time again, friends. We gotta go there. And the third charge for the week, embrace eternity. Embrace it. Embrace that gift. Embrace the fact you're gonna see your king face to face, molded like him. Relish in it. And as you relish in it, Relay it to others. Relay that hope to others. And may our prayer tonight be, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Because David doesn't say, I shall be satisfied when everything's picture perfect. He gets it. This is temporal. Stop looking for satisfaction on planet Earth, friends. Ain't gonna happen. The satisfaction is when we're with King Jesus forever and ever and ever. And we run the race for his glory. We share and relish in the eternity to come and we relay it to others that they may know him and we remember everything of this life is to refine us for our eternal purpose with our king. Because eternity isn't just, we now float in this bright white light and just float like little floating things. No, we got a purpose, we got a call. It's gonna be great with Jesus face to face. Relish in it, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the time in your word, Lord. Father, thank you for the reminder to bring that discipline of ourselves, Lord, that when a trial comes, when danger comes, when something that makes us feel scared or panicked or frustrated or whatever comes, Lord, to have our muscle be prayer, to have our muscle be, Lord, that we cry out to you, Heavenly Father, And Lord, that we allow you to search our hearts in the midst of that trial, Lord. That we can be refined by you, Lord. That we can stand on your standard in this situation, not our own, Lord. And seek your will to be done, Lord. And Father God, that we face it with our eternal security in you. We face it with the fact that we will see you face to face. Lord, help us this week to examine how we pray Examine our defaults, Lord. And Heavenly Father, help us to truly embrace and relish and bask in the promise of all to come, eternity with you. We possess everlasting life now, Lord. And we thank you for that. Be with us, give us travel mercies as we go home and thank you for this time in Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Have a beautiful night.